Today we have two readings. The first one is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the, time, at, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he, when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Welcome along. It's great to be with you as we're in week five of the series, What Are You Doing? And it's a great series thinking about developing godly habits. Imagine yourself down at the beachfront and you're walking along and if you're down there in the morning, you'll often encounter gliding runners who are just literally with great uh, precision, with speed um, and with a great sense of grace, they just glide past you as they run. There's just a hint of sweat on the brow. They look fantastic, they're trim. And you look down and you notice their shoes and they've got that famous brand on, the Nike swoosh. And if you know Nike, you know that their famous saying is just do it. And that slogan was coined by the advertising agency Veden and Kennedy. And it's a bizarre way that Nike got their slogan, just do it. Veden literally was watching the news and heard about the convicted killer from Utah who had just been executed. And when this convicted killer was executed, he just said and looked at the firing squad and said, let's do it. And off the back of that, he just tweaked it a bit to coin what we know is the famous phrase to describe Nike today, just do it. And you see that phrase in so many ways epitomizes the culture that we have in the world that we live in today. Just do it. Doesn't matter what you want to do, just do it. Just express yourself. And I start this way because today we're looking at the very important topic of denial. And I have to say to you, I can't think of a time when I've heard people talk on this topic of denial. And I do want to say at the start and acknowledge that I've had some great help by a guy called John Mark Comer, uh, who's done a lot of thinking about the whole area of spiritual habits. Uh, and you can get his material at practicingtheway.com. 
And we're here thinking about this area of denial. It's the big idea I want to explore. First week we looked at identity, the second week practice. Then we looked at the very important question of presence and being with God in his presence. And last week we also looked at the topic of Sabbath or rest. But today we're thinking about the very important topic of denial. And what we're wanting to do is think about this topic in relationship to the issues of how do we become people who spend time with Jesus, who become like Jesus, and who serve him in the world. And the question that I'm looking at today is this, how does this work out in an urban Western culture, which is all about self-fulfillment? How do we grow as disciples when the air that we breathe says to you, just do it, fulfill yourself? And there's three key things I want to look at, but the key verse is this. It's from Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and it's from our Bible Bible reading. And Jesus said to them when he looked at the crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I spoke on the corresponding passage in Mark a few weeks back at the beginning of the series. And the issue I didn't address that day is the whole issue of denying yourself. And I did that because I knew I'd be speaking on it today. And there's three things we want to look at today. Firstly, the spirit of our age, which is self-fulfillment. Secondly, the challenge of the cross, which is self-denial. And the issue at the centre, which is actually our hearts. Well, what we said in the uh, first week is that we're shaped and formed by the stories we believe, the company we keep and the habits we form. And the story that our culture wants us to believe and be shaped by is this whole issue of self-fulfillment. It's the spirit of our age. And I want to start by getting us to think about an ad that was put on TV way back in 1973. It was from the French uh, women's personal product company, L'Oreal. And it's a very famous ad from 1973. The model and actress, Joanne Dessoux, was there speaking to camera And you can see her if you go on YouTube and watch the ad. She walks along, she tosses her hair wonderfully, and she says these words. I use the most expensive hair color in the world. Preference by L'Oreal. I care about my hair. I expect great color. Actually, I don't mind spending more for L'Oreal. Why? Because I am worth it. And that phrase has become synonymous with L'Oreal. Now it's been tweaked slightly, around uh, about the 2000 period, when one of the models who was doing it said, I don't want to speak just for myself. It's not just I'm worth it. It's that we are worth it. All women are worth it. Now, there were lots of positive things about the original advertisement and the message it gave. You had women speaking for the first time on camera about themselves, expressing their feelings and expressing their own sense of self-worth. And that was a great thing. But the problem with the ad is this. It's the same problem with the Nike ad. It anchors the center of reality, not in God, not external to us, but internally. Me, I, our inner self. And this shift has been pretty much going on for the last 50 or 60 years. And you hear it today in so many ways with the phrases people use. You are awesome. Be your best you. Or what is most important is that you be true to yourself. Now, that's a fascinating phrase. I don't know if you know this, but it first entered the English language way back in 1600 with, guess who? Shakespeare. And it's on the lips of Polonius 
uh, in his play Hamlet, and he said these words, This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day, thou cannot then be false to any man. Now what Shakespeare meant in saying be true to yourself, or be to thine own self be true, was that you had to keep your integrity and stick to your principles in life that guided you. Don't be bent by the opinions of others, is what he was saying with Polonius. And at that level, it is a helpful saying. We need to be true to the values we hold, particularly as Christians, to stay true to who God wants us to be. But what it's come to mean in our culture is this. Be true to yourself. Express yourself however you want. Don't let people judge you. Just be true to yourself. Don't let people tell you what to do. Don't let parents, don't let government, uh, don't let church, and don't let God tell you what to do. Why? Because you need to be true to yourself. Live for yourself, not for others. And the problem with this is that the center of reality is not external to us. It's not God. It's our inner desires. And it's not my family. It's not my community. It's not my country. It's not my faith. Famous talk show host Oprah Winfrey said this in her magazine in 2015. The fullness of our humanity can be expressed only when we are true to ourselves. Anything less is a faked life. To be authentic is the highest form of praise. You're fulfilling your mission and purpose on earth when you honour the real you. And of course, that is the air that we breathe. It's the spirit of the age. Fulfill yourself. Be true to who you are. Just do it. I'm worth it. And against this backdrop, let me just say, the call of Jesus to be his disciple, to be with him, to become like him and to serve him in the world is a radical contrast. And the reason for that is the challenge of the cross. And the challenge of the cross confronts us with a very significant idea in the gospel, which is self-denial. You see, at the centre of following Jesus is a symbol, which is the cross. And let's look again at what Jesus said in his call to follow him to any uh, potential disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if you've got it there, open up. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now the cross, uh, which is really a shorthand way uh, in the New Testament of speaking of death by crucifixion, was a method of execution that was widely used in the ancient world. It was most often performed to dissuade the people who watched to not be a rebel against the Roman rule and not to uh, perpetrate similar crimes. And victims were sometimes left on display for days as their death just lingered on. And it was a warning to everyone, this could happen to you. And so crucifixion was intended to provide a death that was particularly slow. It was painful. It was gruesome. It was humiliating. 
It was public and it was shameful. They were often stripped bare naked. And it was this symbol of shame. And Jesus, having outlined in this Bible reading that he will die at the hands of the religious leaders, says to any disciple who would want to come after him, the cross must define what it means to follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it's interesting because Luke adds the word daily here. Mark and Matthew also reflect on this uh, very key incident in Jesus' ministry. And Luke adds to it that it's a daily experience. And when he says take up your cross, to carry a cross in the first century meant literally that you picked up the cross that you were going to be killed on as the condemned person. And you would carry it to your place of execution. Now, it didn't happen to all the people crucified, but it was something that did happen on occasion, and it happened with Jesus. And it was just this sense of public shaming. And it was the ultimate act of having to submit to the authority over you. And when you think about the reality that Jesus did this as the innocent one, and the call for us to pick up our cross and follow him, it's this incredibly powerful symbol of the innocent who will suffer and be ridiculed and even die. And that's what Jesus says we must be prepared to do every day, to suffer for his sake, to be ridiculed, to face injustice and even death for his sake and the gospel. Because that is what has happened with Jesus and we are called to follow in his footsteps every day. And you see, it's into this context we need to understand the call to deny yourself daily. And when it says to deny yourself, it's not a denial of our very existence. I mean, that really is the teaching of Buddhism. And so we're not denying our personality, that I stop being Bruce or that Dave stops being Dave or my wife Kath stops being Kathy. It's not a denial of our humour and our abilities. Rather, it's a denial of our will that says, I will be true to myself. I will just do it. I will do whatever I want. You see, it's saying I will live for Jesus and not myself. And I will use my personality, my abilities, my humour, my whatever to serve him. And if we are to become like Jesus, and that's the goal for us as disciples, one of the things we must learn is to deny ourselves and put Jesus first. It's what he did in himself. And you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died as he prayed, not your will, uh, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And so if we are to become like Jesus, we must have that same mindset of saying, no, not my will, but your will, Lord Jesus. And it's a very powerful thing to think about. Because what it's saying is, we need to die if we are to live. I want to say that again. We need to die in the sense to self if we are to live and live for him. Now, the great promise is, 
But he says, if you lose your life for me, you'll actually save it. And that's the great paradox of the Christian faith. As you lose your life, you discover life. And it's a life that's found in Christ. As you get to know him and spend time with him and serve him, there is a joy and a purpose and an assurance and a love that comes from knowing him and serving him. But if you want to really live, then you first have to die. And so what does self-denial look like in daily life? It means saying no to our individual needs and wants before we think about serving the needs of others. In other words, we put others first. We love our neighbour before ourselves. We love God before ourselves. It's saying no to self-expression that is against the will of Jesus. Not any expression, not every expression, but just the self-expression that goes against what the gospel teaches. It's saying no to sexual expression that is against the plan and purpose of God for sex within marriage between a man and a woman. It is to deny yourself and live for Christ whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and whenever he wants. We say, yes, I am here for you, Jesus. And think about this in relation to the church in the 21st century in the Western world. I read a quote from Mark Sayer, who's a great commentator on the current church in the world we live, and he loves to analyse the culture we're in. And he's got a book called The Disappearing Church. And he said this in it, we understand that God would ask people in the two-third world to give up things. In other words, we know there's a persecuted church and we know that they follow Jesus with great cost and great sacrifice. But our heresy hidden under the surface is our belief that God would not ask Western people to deny themselves. Now, I read that and I just thought, ouch. In other words, we look on the places in the Middle East where Christians are suffering and dying for their faith and we're happy to pray for them. But Lord, please don't expect us to suffer. Don't expect us to have to deny ourselves. That's the hidden heresy. And we need to hear these words of Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. In other words, the very sobering reality of judgment awaits those who reject Jesus. And if we're ashamed of him now, he will be ashamed of, he, of us then. Now, what's the issue underneath all this? It's actually our hearts. You see, why would you deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow this Jesus who suffered and died and walk in his footsteps? They're the footsteps of rejection in this world. Well, you do it because your heart has been so touched by his love for you at the cross. And you see, the cross is not just the model for disciples. It is the power for disciples. Because at the cross, we meet the Jesus who loves us and died for us. And through that gives us love and life. And as we turn our back on our sin and deny ourselves and follow Jesus and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, he fills our life with love and joy and peace.
Whoever wants to hold on to their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel, they'll save it, is what Jesus said. But whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And you see, the issue at the heart of it is who we love. Do we love Jesus more than ourselves? It's the issue of the heart. That's what's at the centre, which leads me to the third point. Our hearts. You see, the issue of the heart is really about who and what we love. And when you read through the New Testament, it keeps coming back to that. I mean, think with me, why would we want to be people who deny ourselves? Well, it's because we've found a greater thing, a greater person to love, Jesus and the gospel. And it's captured our hearts. And we're not ashamed of him. We are proud of him. We love him. And it's interesting, when Jesus was asked to summarize the law and the prophets, he said, well, it all boils down to these two things. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, when you love him, and when you will love your neighbor as yourself, there is no commandment greater than these, is what Jesus says. And when you love God, you will love your neighbor because you know God loves them. And so we will love them. And our love for ourselves will be diminished as our love for God grows. It's interesting that what John said in his letter to the churches in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And you see, we can either love God, we can love the Father, or we can love the world. This is the issue. It's our hearts. Let me read from the letter to the Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, this little vignette in Hebrews just sums up what we're talking about today. Moses denied himself the pleasures of the palace and all the trappings that came with it. Why? He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin because he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. You see, his heart had been captured by God. Now, he didn't know at the time that we would learn of the Lord Jesus. But I love the way the writer says it. It was for the sake of Christ, that the service of God in his day, he loved to do. It was of immense value, such great value that he turned his back. He denied the value of the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And friends, that's what we are called to do, to deny ourselves in this world and put Christ first, wherever, whenever, Whatever he calls us to do, we say, yes, Jesus, here I am. And friends, that is the reality of the gospel. When Christ has captured your heart and you know you are his, forgiven and saved, and you know he's returning, you want to live for him in this world and you love him. And you'll turn your back on self-pursuit and self-fulfillment. 
And I want to move now to transition to think about godly habits. If the big idea we've been critiquing is self-fulfillment and the need to be people who deny themselves and serve Jesus. The practice I want us to look at is that of fasting. And I've picked that practice because I can't think of a more significant practice that affects us in the whole issue of our wills and self-denial and importantly, our hearts. And the thing with fasting is this. It works both on our will and what we want to choose to do, as well as our heart and what we love to do. Now, what is taught about fasting? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. Jesus assumed that his disciples would fast. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he simply says these words, when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast. And there was just an assumption that people would fast. And what he did was correct the misuse of fasting in that day, where people did it to gain reward from people by getting people to notice that they were fasting. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Do it in a way that no one notices, because then God will notice you and he'll reward you. The second thing I want to say is this. Fasting totally reminds us that we need God. And you see, it works on both our wills and our heart in terms of what we love. And Jesus went out and fasted in Matthew chapter 4 for 40 days. Now, let me just uh, reassure you, I'm not going to ask people to fast for 40 days. And I don't fast for 40 days. I want to say that as well. And the devil came and tempted him in the middle of this fast. And Jesus' response is so helpful. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you see, fasting reminds us at the deepest of levels that we need God. You see, it works on our wills. Will I choose to eat or will I choose not to eat because I want to honour God and I want to seek God? When you're hungry, you think, I just want to have lunch. I just want to have that bowl of soup. I just want to go down and get a hamburger. But actually, no, there's something greater that I love and that I, greater that I desire, which is God himself. And you see, what fasting does when we give up eating is it reorders our desires as it works on our will. And as we deny ourselves and say, I want you, God, over and above everything, including food, it does a powerful work of grace in us as we pursue the living God himself. And as Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And friends, so when you fast, what you do is you seek God and you seek him to speak to you and you seek to pray and pour your heart out to him as he is the one who is number one in your life. And it is worth saying you can fast in other ways. You can fast technology is one that is common today. But I actually want to encourage people to fast with food because I think there's no more profound way to have our will and our heart shaped than by simply not eating. Because as the meal times come around and the tummy rumbles, you ask yourself, why am I doing this? You ask yourself, do I love more God more than anything else in the world, including food? You ask yourself, do I trust in God 
more than anything else in the world, including food? Do I seek God more than anything else in the world, including food? And so as you give up what is a good thing, food is a great thing, I love it, I love to cook, love to eat. As you give up a good thing, you do it because you're seeking the greater thing, which is God himself in prayer and in his word. And a very practical thing about fasting is when you fast, and say you just fasted a meal, you take that time and use it to pray and to read and to seek God and you'll have a stronger passion and a stronger hunger for him as your tummy rumbles. And that's why it's such a profound thing. And I want to challenge us as we go through this series um, to just have a go. Just have a go. And if you've never fasted, and when we did the survey, I think two-thirds of people had never fasted a whole day, why don't you think about doing that? Or even just fast one meal a week and spend that time seeking God because it will do something to you and it will start to reorder your heart and your desires, helping you to deny yourself and to seek and follow Jesus and become like him. Matthew said these words, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it's Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And friends, I want to encourage you as I finish this sermon to actually take that to heart. Be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and for the kingdom of God. And the promise is we will be filled. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all your blessings to us. But Lord, in this age of self-fulfillment that just says, I'm worth it, just do it, be your true self, help us to hear the words of Christ that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross and we follow him every day. And Lord, give us a hunger for you such that we want, would want to fast and put aside food to spend time in prayer, and reading your word to hear you speak. May we be people who echo these words, we hunger and thirst for you. Amen.